Hello, I'm Friedel. And I'm Andrew. Welcome to the Traveling to Radio Show, and this edition is coming to you from Bishkek in Kyrgyzstan. Yes, we've enjoyed a f- couple of months here in uh, Central Asia, and uh, we've got lots to tell you about. We've been in Central Asia since the beginning of April, and we've met so many interesting people, and we've got a lot of interviews stored up. But it's been really hard to get them to you because the internet connections are either completely non-existent or so slow you just spend hours staring at a blank screen. So today is our attempt to clear out the archives once again and bring you lots of interesting interviews from people around the region and hopefully give you a better idea of what Central Asia is all about. Because before we came here, we really didn't have a clue what was going on here. It was a big blank on the map in our minds. And we'll also tell you about uh, what we're doing. Uh, we're getting ready to pack our bikes up and put them on a plane. Yeah, that wasn't exactly what we had planned when we came to this part of the world. We were going to go to China and cross over maybe to Japan or down to Thailand. But with the Olympics, you know, China's not exactly being easy in terms of getting visas. So we've had to go for Plan D, I think it is. <laughs> and and so uh, we're going to fly out from Almaty down to Bangkok and uh, and then explore Southeast Asia. Yeah, we hope to spend a few months seeing Thailand, Laos, Cambodia, Indonesia, and maybe if China eases up on visas after the Olympics, then maybe we'll actually be able to go into the southern provinces of China, like Sichuan and Yunnan. But it's all completely unplanned. In fact, we didn't even book our flight until about a week ago, so we're really going in blind to Thailand. Yeah, it'll be fine. Uh, we'll, we'll manage it somehow, And uh, but at the moment we're about to put our bikes in boxes again, and uh, that's a whole new stress again. Yeah, lots of duct tape, lots of bubble wrap, lots of string, worrying about taxis and just hoping nothing gets lost. Anyway, I'm sure when we get to Thailand we can tell you all about that, but before we start rambling on about Southeast Asia, we want to introduce you to Central Asia, and I can't think of a better way to do that than with an interview we did with someone who's really a specialist in this region. Yeah, basically David is uh, a guy who's basically known in the region for answering all travelers' questions about getting access into Central Asia. He runs a company called Stantours. You can find them on the web at stantours.com. And we've used them quite a bit for introduction letters, which you need to get visas for countries around here. And so when we went to Almaty, we asked David if we could have an interview because we just knew that he would have lots of information to share with people who were thinking of coming to Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, all those countries known as Central Asia. So... Here's David, and he starts by telling us why he thinks Stantours is a little bit different from some of the other travel agencies out there. Well, we're just a tiny, tiny little sort of people-focused setup. Three people, essentially. One in Ashgabat and two here in Almaty. Seems, it seems like we're one of the few, few companies who actually deals with people with lots of questions. And, and had one of the big differences, I think, with us is that I have a very good overview of all the countries rather than just my this one country where I'm sitting in. So we have pretty general expertise and we use the information that we receive from our clients and pass it on to other clients. So basically all rules that we tell people, the advice we give on visa, the advice we give on uh, how to travel, which borders to use and everything, is normally based either on personal experience where stuff we've done ourselves or we've done with other clients or it's based on feedback we receive from our clients. And that's why I think we're simply more accurate than um, if you were to consult uh, the actual legal aspects of it because legislation in Central Asia is rather contradictive and doesn't really lead you anywhere. And basically, if you were to follow it, everything would be forbidden. But in reality, everything's possible. You just have to know what you're doing and all yeah. the tricks. <laughs> yeah, and we simply, we're one of the, we give pretty correct advice, pretty f- sound, and 
well, for instance, if somebody comes up to me and says, um, okay, I want to do the five stones, and the first thing I tell him, well, do you have 500 bucks for a five visa? And a lot more for, for other paperwork if you're coming with the car. And, and I don't think the competition gives a straight hits knocks you down with the with the with a price like that which is just a matter of fact some people only find it out slowly slowly while they're going and money is going away for the bloody visas and everything so tell us a little bit about the region i don't know can you give us maybe like each country in 30 seconds what it's kind of best oh, known for <laughs> maybe <laughs> we should take them one by one no, i'm no. just thinking a lot of people think of central asia and it's like a big blank Mm-hmm. in their minds on the map. They don't really know what there is to see here. So, Well, you should really talk about the region as a whole. What people from the outside don't really know is that it's it's essentially one big culture with a lot of similarities throughout the entire region. So it could, in theory, it could all be one country. Well, in reality, of course, it isn't. It's five different nations with uh, entirely different politics, entirely with rather different uh, people in, in terms of mentality. But there are a lot of parallels in terms of food, um, language. Most people cross the region in in transit. Well, most of our clients say that in transit between Europe and Asia proper, so to say, coming from Iran uh, or from the Caucasus or from Russia, and then going to China or Mongolia. And a few also going further south in, into Afghanistan. So it's a big transit hub. There, there are quite few travelers who, who only really come here to visit one country in its, on its own, which because airfare is expensive. But there are a few people who can afford just coming in and visiting uh, Kazakhstan for two weeks or something. There are people like that, but they're more the exception. Because normally if somebody comes to me and says, hey, I want to see Central Asia, I say, okay, how much time do you have? How much money can you spend? And how intense do you want to travel? The average is probably two weeks per country to do it properly, to see everything. So most people only have a month at the most. Our recommendation is to do two, two or three countries at a time and sort of see how what fits together. And then we advise what, what's better in terms of time of the year. Southern countries, you don't want to travel in the, in the summer month. The mountains, you can only tra- travel in the summer month. There are certain passes which are not open in the winter. Photographers will probably want to travel in the summer to get the blue skies and because the winters are over, overcast. In terms of culture, I think the main highlight of the region are the heritage sites, which are, of course, all concentrated in, in Uzbekistan, which is the centerpiece of Central Asian tourism and and the sort of the must for most travelers who are coming through. So we're talking like Bukhara? Bukhara, Samarkand, and Kiva, of course. And what can people see there? Well, they're basically three ancient Silk Road cities with uh, hundreds of madrasas, hundreds of mausoleums and uh, mosques, some of which have been preserved quite nicely. Some of them have been painted up a little bit too much. Also quite, quite touristy, quite interesting. In Uzbekistan, that's the only country that we've seen so far in Central Asia where we've actually seen a lot of tour groups hanging around. It seems quite popular at the moment for people. Yeah, to and it used to be already in, to- in Soviet days. They're not back to the figures they had, of course, during the Soviet days, but um, they're, they're doing not so bad. And uh, Uzbekistan is, is the only real place with, with real infrastructure for tourists with lots of competition in terms of hotels and also in terms of uh, professionalism in the travel industry. It's the most advanced place, basically with hundreds of agents and, well, sort of guides, and it's, they're pretty well organized. And going from Uzbekistan, would Kyrgyzstan be the next most popular destination? For most, yeah, for most travelers, uh, Kyrgyzstan is easy easy to travel into uh, in terms of visa. You get visa on arrival when you when you travel there. Is that by um, air or by, by air, air as well? By air, only by air. 
And the big draw there must be the mountains. I mean, yeah, yeah, most people. It's it's relatively cheap. Not, I mean, not quite as cheap as it used to be. It's pretty easy to travel with, uh, with a sort of like a little CBT, this Shepherd's Life, all these sort of homestay networks. We we usually tell our people just go to Kyrgyzstan, go to the villages, and you find uh, you can easily find accommodation. You can easily find uh, things to do. And and for an authentic yurt experience, you have to go to Kyrgyzstan. Everything you can see, for instance, what the Uzbeks have set up uh, near the Aydakul, those are basically just yurt camps, tourist camps, while the, the Kyrgyz yurt camps are, they're more authentic, let's say. that Some of them are only there for tourists, but a few of them you can actually sleep in the yurts where, they, where the shepherds also sleep. And just explain quite nice. what a yurt is for someone who might not know. What's well, the, the nomad's tent uh, that they put up for the, for the summer and move around um, uh, from pastry to pastry, basically, in the mountains. And then after Kyrgyzstan, what, what would be the next most popular destination for people? Well, from Kyrgyzstan, most people continue straight into China. Well, you have to consider Xinjiang province as a part of Central Asia. It has a similar culture, similar language, and basically the same food, just, of course, with a, a large Chinese influence. So many, most overlanders continue into, into China, go to Kashgar, and then on, on to the end of the Silk Road to Qian, basically, and in, in China proper. And there's still a couple countries we haven't talked about. Three, actually. So yeah. so the others are, are all a little bit off off the road if you were hopping into, into Uzbekistan. So for the, for the overlanders who are coming from the West, Turkmenistan is usually the first station in Central Asia, which you can enter either from the Caucasus by ferry or from Iran overland for those who can go to Iran. And how hard is it to get in? Because Turkmenistan has a bit of a reputation yeah, it, of a closed yeah. Turkmenistan country. has the yeah has the toughest visa system. It's the only country where people are essentially only allowed in with organized tour groups. There are a few ways around this, but generally most people travel with an organized tour in Turkmenistan. And what would you take people to see in Turkmenistan? Well, Turkmenistan has been blessed with well a few important historical sites. There is Murf, which is one of the big Silk Road cities, uh, the big ancient Silk Road cities between Iran and, and Samarkand, Bukhara. So it used to be one a place like Bukhara, Samarkand, before the Mongols knocked it down, basically. And then well, like the Timurids. And, and then in the north, there is the, the old capital of the Khorezm area, is Konyorganj, which is um, also has a very tall minaret and, and a few buildings which are very remarkable examples of, of um, early Islamic architecture in Central Asia, which have later on been copied in places like Bukhara or Samarkand. And what about Ashgabat? That has a reputation well, as being an interesting is, place well, to see just because of the president and the personality cult he Yeah, Ashgabat has, um, is, is a complete surprise to most travelers. And it's one of the musts we, we recommend to our travelers. Most people don't, don't believe it. I and mean, we say you need two days in Ashgabat because there simply is so much to see. And people are generally like it. It's a very clean, it's, been, it's a completely remodeled city. Thousands of new buildings uh, in white marble, statues and palaces and government buildings in a very imposing and interesting style. As a whole, the, the whole ensemble of, of it is, is just, it's quite astonishing. Sounds very surreal. You could say that, yeah. And so then that leaves us with Kazakhstan and Tajikistan. So where should yeah. we go next? So if you were overlanding from the west, to go to China, you have two options to go 
go across from Uzbekistan to Kyrgyzstan. One would be through the Fergana Valley, what we talked about before. The other one would be sort of dip into southern Kazakhstan and come, come through Almaty, go into China from there, or go back into Kyrgyzstan from there, basically. Why would you go to Kazakhstan? Because I think of all the stands, that's maybe the one that people know the least about. Yeah, unfortunately, Kazakhstan is the most expensive country in Central Asia. Prices have been spoiled largely by oil business, uh, business travelers. Hotels in Almaty only really start at like $100. Kazakhstan, there's a lot of trekking opportunities in the mountains, and which, of course, don't, don't cost anything. But most people do that in Kyrgyzstan, simply where it's cheaper to get a car to get up into the mountains and, and, and do it. There, there are lots of things to do. I mean, there's South Kazakhstan, again, in terms of history. Uh, there's the... The Yasawi Mausoleum in Turkestan, which is a little bit off the way, but um, a lot of people go to the Aral Sea to see the, the shipwrecks. And mm. this is the sea that's been slowly disappearing? Yeah, the, as the well, there is no sea, so uh, people go see where the sea used to be. Before they started yeah. farming. Well, and a lot of people actually visit Amati and Astana because of, of their them being real cities and well, like an exam, example cities, what, what a real city looks like in Central Asia. Rather westernized. Um, Astana is a bit of a... It's, if you've seen Ashgabat, there are some similarities, and it's, it's a little bit in a larger scale and in a different, completely different style. Also quite interesting if you, see, if you want to see contemporary uh, Central Asian architecture. Also, Kazakhstan has the, the only train link to China with, with the train from Almaty to Urumqi. It's, it's quite useful. And that leaves us with Tajikistan. So you've got Panmir Mountains as well. Yeah, the Pamir is um, basically the rooftop of Central Asia. It's uh, part of the the Himalaya range, basically the the northern tip of it, um, with some of the highest mountains in the world. Tajikistan has the potential of becoming a very good mountaineering destination, the best mountaineering destination in Central Asia. But of course, uh, years of civil war and up to now rather unorganized government and support sort of infrastructure make it more, of course, make the development very, very slow. But a lot of people travel to, to the Pamir, uh, crossing, just crossing Tajikistan, um, across the Pamir Highway, which is a, a high, high altitude, very fantastic, a fantastic mountain road with uh, rather unusual people along the way. Um, the, well, the Tajiks being the only Iranian people, and while well, the, other, the other Central people are all Turkic. The Tajiks speak a different language, and there are all kinds of different Iranian, again, of Iranian origin people in along the the Wahan Valley, along the uh, the Afghan border. But it's a, it's a very interesting destination in so far that there is a road where in other places in the world on on such altitude there wouldn't be a road. So it's it's something like um, a huge road in the middle of nowhere in, in eastern Tibet or something, you know. And when you're doing the the Pamir Highway in Tajikistan, that runs right along the border with Afghanistan. It runs all the way along along the border, yeah. Is is that safe? As an outsider, you know, you think Afghanistan's maybe not so stable. Is it well, the, any problems the, with safety? The there, northeast or? is supposed to be quite safe. I haven't heard of any incidents apart from drug smuggling uh, that's been going on along that border. Tajikistan, of course, potentially it has has still the potential for civil war and 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 issues like that. But so far, it's been it's been rather quiet. And in general, across Central Asia, are there any safety issues that travelers need to take into consideration? Well, there are government warnings for the Fagana Valley and general warnings for all of Central Asia, of course, uh, being an Islamic region. From the point of view of, of a well-traveled person, it's quite a safe destination to go. If you behave, of course, if you're adapted a little bit, if, you, if, you don't, well, if you're not the, 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 the elephant in the China shop. One of the things that I've noticed coming from Iran especially is that 
although this area is Islamic as well, it's not nearly as strict. In this, for example, in Iran, I had to wear a headscarf where yeah, I don't feel yeah. any of that sort of pressure here. It seems to be yeah, a much more relaxed And many people enjoy that, enjoy that a lot, especially the coming in from, from Iran into Turkmenistan. People do enjoy the, the liberty of being able to take down the scarf and, uh, and have beer. It comes as quite a relief after three months yeah. in Iran. <laughs> I can speak from personal experience. So what kind of, um, if someone wants to come to this area, how far ahead do they need to start planning, just in terms of logistics for getting these visas and, and booking tours or trekking them? Well, you need, do? the minimum you need is, is about a month, the absolute minimum. Most people start planning about half a year ahead. Some people plan years ahead, but that doesn't really bring anything because within a year, rules change and you have to replan everything in, in the end. A month is about the the minimum, except if you, of course, uh, if you're if you're just hopping into uh, a place like Bishkek where you get the visa on, on arrival and and spend a week there, um, that's something you can just do by getting a cheap ticket and and go there, which which people do, but many people do that. For instance, in Almaty, especially now since um, some cheap airlines started flying here, and a lot of them are quite surprised about the bureaucracy when it comes when they come down and they realize that visa that they could have gotten without invitations they need invitations here and and it's it's just it's it's not quite as easy and some people give up because it's just so so complicated we just had a guy who, who had an invitation who took t- 3 days to get the visa from the embassy although we had advised him that he should be able to get it within a day so those all things that you can't really well, we can't plan, and you have to be prepared for also morally. The, mo- the main thing is to be morally prepared for the bureaucracy. Except, expect the worst, and then in the end, it's actually not so bad once you set your mind right. Is it any easier if you do it all from home, or can you do it while you're here to a certain degree? Or uh, you can do it all from home, but it's it's simply much more expensive, especially for for Australians or people who who live. A lot of our clientele comes from Australia and New Zealand. Uh, for them, it's really difficult to organize because uh, they don't have embassies down there. So they have to they have to organize everything on the spot. Brits have the problem with the Tajik visas because there's no Tajik embassy in Britain. Otherwise, they have they have all the embassies there. In America, you pay you pay a lot more organizing the visa by mail or than you would even just getting the visa on arrival or organizing everything here on the spot. But again, you have to weigh that off with how much time you're going to be spending organizing visa on the spot on invitations, which you wouldn't need if you applied back home. And, so if like you had that. a quite it's, it's quite tight, complex. Yeah. So if you had quite a tight schedule, then maybe you'd be better off to pay yeah. the extra fees and do it at home. But if exactly, you, exactly. If you had the luxury of a couple months yeah. and you didn't mind waiting yeah. around a few days, then well, that's basically that's our business to advise on questions like that. What kind of budget should people be looking at if they want to come to the region? I think you can travel for like thirty, forty dollars a day in the region, uh, excluding the the uh, the paperwork. So and for paperwork, like I said, you should probably spend. You, you, you should plan on spending $100 per country. And that would be what? Doing buses and trains, budget hotels? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Street food? Yeah. What would your top pick be if you had a month just to travel? And I'd probably just go somewhere in the middle of nowhere, in the steppe or the desert, and, and, and drive around there. I like to visit new places, and places that I haven't been to, preferably places where other people haven't been to. 
that only leaves a few white white spots on the map. <laughs> Even in Central Asia. <laughs> <laughs> Even in Central Asia, yeah. So I guess that would be really the what the northern or middle bit. No, there of are there are there are corners like that all over the place. I mean, the, the southeast of Tajikistan, for instance, very few people go there because you need special permissions. There's it's in in the in the central Pamir, there there are lots of destinations where f- people go. Very few people go. Southern Kyrgyzstan, the sort of the border region to China, is probably is very interesting. The eastern border region to China is also very very interesting. Is there something that you think most travelers should know but maybe don't before they come? One little piece of advice that I, apart from sort of um, letting people judge by themselves whether they consider themselves well-traveled and uh, open-minded for traveling in Central Asia, is uh, taking time, not trying to do too many things at, at a time. Prepare for the worst in terms of uh, bureaucracy, and also stomach sort of upset in terms of heat, in terms of climate, because the climate in Central Asia is, is extreme, uh, whatever whatever you have exper- experienced before. Um, so what, highs of 45 in the summer, Celsius, or...? Easily 60 in Turkmenistan in the south, so you have to be prepared. Oh. And the UV and in in the in the south of Central Asia is extreme. So even if you if if you've been in the southern United States, it's it's different. It is it is very very strong. So you have to be prepared. And if you don't take care, you can easily get get a heat stroke or um, well, any anything basically. So it is extreme, and you have to travel very carefully in oh. the summer. Or maybe or just not right come in summer right at, at all <laughs> at the right time of the year. But sometimes even even in 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 the so-called cool season, it can easily get hot. Like it can easily get like forty, and the UV is still is there all the time. So you got to be careful. Spring is probably the best period to to visit both the mountains and the and the and the south. Spring and autumn. Many people s- still travel in in the south in the summer and they survive. I mean, nothing nothing happens. It's just that it's just much more exhausting. Just the mountains in winter. Some some places become completely impassable. Um, some of the passes can be closed for weeks. Um, that's one of the the things you have to be prepared for. Let's talk about food. That's one of my favorite topics. Okay. <laughs> so I'm I'm here in a restaurant. I, before I came to Central Asia, I really had a bad impression. I thought for sure mm-hmm. I was going to be like sick every day, and and it's actually exceeded my expectations. So give people a an idea of what they'll find when they come here and sit down in a restaurant. Basically, Central Asian fare can be can be melted down to about four four to five dishes, which are common throughout the region. The main one being the plof, which is essentially an Uzbek dish, I would say. Um, which is similar to what people know as a pilaf, a pilau, an Indian uh, pilau, or uh, an Iranian pilau, uh, which is essentially the same with uh, with a slightly more meat-based focus. Only those bags put a few sweet and, and nutty things in there, while in the rest of the region it's basically just rice, carrots, and yellow carrots, perfectly, and meat. Number two being the good old shashlik, which is just a kebab on uh, skewers, uh, which is the favorite throughout the region where people can afford meat and for any any special occasion that would be the, the main thing people would be looking out for. The the Uzbeks are probably the superior and the Uyghurs in, in Xinjiang, um, they're probably the superior cooks for, for kebabs. They cut the meats more and, and they marinate it more sophisticatedly than I would say in the north. In a place like Kazakhstan, the kebab could be really, really good if you if you have it somewhere in the countryside. Unfortunately, in the cities, you have to look out. It's more. It's it's again. It's a matter of marinating, and it's usually the, the Armenians or the Azeris who who do a good kebab in the other Central Asian countries, other than Uzbekistan. You sound like quite a connoisseur um, of kebabs there. <laughs> well, f- 
with 10 years in the region, I've had a few. <laughs> <laughs> Then number three, in terms of popularity, I would say, is the, the Monte. Monte is, is a sort of meat, a meat dumpling, similar to the Chinese, which is basically just a pouch of dough with rather roughly chopped meat and fat and onion and, and whatever perhaps a few spices which is then steamed in a steamer so that's quite that's very popular again throughout the region the, the Kazakhs make pretty good dumplings um, but it's one of those dishes which is pretty similar all over the place is there any hope for vegetarians in this region at all I mean there's nothing that that would come to my mind I mean they have certain breakfast stuff probably and porridges and, and so if you're vegetarian traveling around then maybe you want to eat out of markets and yeah yeah I mean vegetables vegetables are superior quality in, in Central Asia, much, much better, much better than in Europe, and the quality is very good, and, and in principle, generally now also in the winter, everything's available, not, not just the good old cabbage. So you can cook yourself, or, of course, in the Western there's restaurants in the place like Almaty, or in, in the big cities, you can always ask for vegetarian dishes, while in the countryside you could, uh, you could get, get stuck. Anything you think I've missed? Yeah, I think many people approach the region um, comparing it to South America or the, to, to cheap travel destinations in the world, which is South America, um, Southeast Asia, which they shouldn't. And Central Asia is much more expensive than South, Southeast Asia. Flights here are as expensive as flights to South America. So that's what you really have to... You have to be prepared for that. And you have to also be prepared for a, a different travel experience than in South America and Southeast Asia. And some people like it and some people don't. Same as India. What kind of differences are you talking about that, that shock some people or surprise some people? Well, it's a matter of mentality, uh, the sort of um, being able to, to cope with uh, the good old uh, Soviet babushka sitting on your the floor ladies, the... A lot of Soviet heritage, basically, which which can, which some people like and some people just can't handle, including including police hassle, including uh, whatever paperwork and things like that. That if you if you can't cope, if I mean, I, I we have clients who who get shaky hands when they see a form, and uh, of course they it, if if you have problems with filling in forms or filling in a customs declaration and like that, then probably you should go somewhere where it's easier to travel. But some people actually enjoy it. I mean, some people ask us so many questions uh, that, uh, well, are you trying to, to write a PhD on uh, <laughs> on uh, Central Asian bureaucracy, visa rules, and <laughs> things like that? Do you think that the bureaucracy will, will ease up any time in the foreseeable future, or is that here to stay for a few years yet at least? It, it's unlikely. It's, it's pretty deep within, and people accept it, and it, it's not really getting better. Right. It's tightening up, but the same is happening in um, with a big brother up north. So nothing uh, we can complain about. Okay. So I mean, comparatively, it's comparatively easy, and and it's like I said, once once you set your mind right, if you approach the whole thing with good time and a little bit in advance, um, you should be all right. And if people have questions that we haven't touched on here, you're willing to take emails, are you? And That's what we do every day. Thousands of emails every day. <laughs> so give us your details. Where can people find your website and how can they get in touch uh, with you? You can easily find us on the web. It's www.standtourist.com. And the email address is there. The info at standtourist.com address. We normally respond within 48 hours uh, weekdays. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with David. Um, 
He's uh, one of those guys, I think you can drop him a line anytime and he'll uh, get back to you with any questions you have about Central Asia. Definitely. Wonderful guy and we definitely recommend his, his services. He's come in very handy for us on a number of occasions. So, David, good luck with your business. And if you as a traveler are thinking of going to Central Asia, then we would certainly recommend Stan Tours. I guess that's just about it. That interview was quite long, so we're not going to ramble on uh, too much more here, only to say that uh, once we turn this little recorder off, then off we go to start figuring out how exactly we're going to get those bikes into bike boxes again. Yeah, do we remember how it's done? I don't know if we do. It's been over a year, so we've certainly got some work ahead of us. Anyway, thankfully we're in a really nice place here in Bishkek. If you do come to Bishkek, uh, we're staying in a place called Nomad's Home. Yeah, we see lots of travelers here, and uh, it's just good atmosphere. Pretty chilled out. You can pitch your tent in the garden. You can sleep in a dorm. They've even got a kitchen. We're having a good time here, and that helps take away some of the stress. A few other cyclists around to give us some advice. That's right. Okay, well, that's it from Bishkek. Next time, maybe from Thailand. Who knows? Hopefully. Hopefully. Inshallah, as they say. I guess we won't be saying that much more, maybe. (laughs) We're going to have to find a new saying for a new part of the world. Coming right up in, in just a few days.